We're going to be in Hebrews chapter number 10. I'm going to preach on this subject. Baptist churches, baffling or biblical? Baptist churches, baffling or biblical? Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 24 and 25. <clears throat> and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The passage of Scripture that we hear so often when people are telling us we ought to assemble ourselves together, and probably none of us would disagree that as Christians we ought to assemble ourselves together. And I'm speaking to those who are watching online as well. And most of us would recognize this passage as being authoritative and exhorts us to assemble together. Ah, but where the question is, is where do we assemble? With whom? I mean, there's lots of different places you could assemble. And in the first century, when this passage of Scripture was written, they were assembling mostly at the church at Jerusalem because that was the... First church, it was the only church. <laughs> you didn't have very many choices. You went to the Jerusalem church and then it began to open up and churches got established in other places like the one up at Antioch. Man, they were a on fire, uh, fire-breathing church. They were preaching uh, heaven sweet, hell hot and they were preaching about sending out missions and witnessing to people and the preaching and the teaching was on fire and uh, that was a good church to go to. But you, people say, well, Boy, in my town, there's a church on every corner. Where do I go? And how do I know the right one? And people have to make those choices. Are we left out in the dark? Or is there some biblical guidance for us? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would send the sweet Holy Spirit to empower your word as it's preached and, Lord, as it's received into our hearts. Lord, that we might be instructed about this thing of choosing and belonging to a church. Lord, help us to know what's biblical and what's not, what's important and what's not so important. Lord, help us to be fired up about living for you in the church setting that you have designed for us. We pray you'd bless us as we study this subject tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever laid awake at night and you got some problem on your mind or maybe you've been working on some piece of machinery or or something, and you're trying to, you've worked on it, and you tried to figure it out, but you go to bed not having the solution, and then wake up in the middle of the night, and you've thought of something, and you got an idea. Maybe you even dreamed about an idea that might solve this problem. Now, some of those actually turn out to be good, uh, good thoughts, and you find some answers to some problems that way, or to fix something, and some of them are completely nonsensical. <laughs> and and uh, so, what do we do about buying things. We oftentimes, we're going to buy something and we'll do our research on the internet. We go to Amazon.com and read the reviews and about a particular item and different brands of the item and which one would make the best item for me to buy. And so we read the reviews and we go to what other people's telling us and we know those are foolproof, right? <laughs> well, some parents after... We had baby dedication today, and, and a lot of other parents got your kids raised, and some are in the middle of it now. Sometimes we parents, we, 
we have a, a child and after a while we get to thinking, I wonder if they've got a return policy at the hospital. Maybe I could go to the nursery and pick out another one, you know. And we try to pick things out and try to choose what's going to be the most interesting, the most pleasing, and the most beneficial to us. And variety can be good. Variety can be bad. And when we're talking about churches, variety can be good, variety can be bad, or variety can be indifferent. In the Baptist circle, which is known for its diversity, I don't know how many different kinds. I blew uh, the AI, artificial intelligence, trying to ask AI, how many Baptist churches are there? He blew up in smoke. Couldn't answer it. Didn't know. Uh, <laughs> Safari doesn't know. Uh, Google doesn't know. How many Baptist churches? There's so many and so many different varieties within each variety and sub-varieties. There's oodles of different kinds of Baptist churches. So just being a Baptist is not a foolproof thing either. There are a lot of different kinds of Baptists. For instance... You know there's a Southern Baptist Convention. That's probably the biggest group of Baptists in America. And uh, at one time they were very very strong theologically and theology is for the most part still pretty good. They were, and they were at one time separated Christians and were strong uh, and very evangelical, reaching out to get people saved. And then there's the American Baptist Churches USA and they're a more liberal and diverse group, and uh, they promote inclusivity. You know, <laughs> DEI. Uh, I don't care whether you're a believer or not, join their church. We just want you to be progressive. <laughs> and so that's their thing. And then there's National Baptist Convention, which is an American, African American Baptist. And then there's Independent Baptists and of which we are here, but boy, oh boy, there's a lot of different independent Baptists. You knew that, didn't you? When, when I first got saved, I thought there was one kind of Baptist, and then our church went independent Baptist later on, and I, I thought, well, there's surely just one kind of independent Baptist, and I just keep learning more about how many different kinds of Baptist varieties they are. Uh, there's even new independent Baptists today, new uh, NFIB, New Independent Fundamental Baptist. And they have a whole different take on uh, their Christianity than perhaps we would or, or traditional independent Baptists would. And so you've got to be careful. When you go on the Internet and you go to YouTube video and things like that, uh, and if you just go for an independent Baptist, you can see something totally over on this side or you can see something totally over on that side, and they may not ever meet in the middle. It can be totally opposite of what you thought. And then there's primitive Baptists. Uh, they're staunch Calvinists. They believe uh, more in traditional type uh, worship services, but they're strongly Calvinistic. Had, had uh, one to uh, text us on the church site last night. It was a primitive Baptist wanting to know if we believed in predestination. And I said, well, we do if you define it biblically. <laughs> uh, but I made it clear that we don't belong to the hyper-Calvinist predestination before you're born to go to heaven or hell type. We believe in eternal security. Uh, and they asked, well, is there another church in town that believes in eternal security? I said, we believe in eternal security. We just believe that you've got the choice to choose it or reject it at the beginning. And uh, once you're saved, you're not going to lose it. 
but that wasn't what they were looking for. And so I wanted to be up front with them. I'm not going to try to trick somebody into coming here thinking we're something that we're not. And I don't want to have to apologize for what I preach. And so I'm just going to keep preaching what I've always preached. Is that okay with you? All right. So we're not going to vote on it anyway. <laughs> and then there's free will Baptists. I grew up. Well, as I grew up, I was probably in the Free Will Baptist Church until I was about 13. I made a profession of faith in the Free Will Baptist. They are Arminian in, in theology, meaning that, that when uh, they, they'll, they'll preach the gospel, it'll sound just like we're preaching the gospel. Uh, salvation by grace through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But they believe if you go far enough, you can go out there far enough that you can lose that salvation. And so while they believe a lot of prophecy and, and other theology that we would practice, they're, they're quite a bit different when it comes to maintaining your salvation. Instead of being by grace, you just uh, some of them say, well, you've got it, but you better live it or you're going to lose it, something like that. Well, then you've got general Baptists, and they're just pretty much the same thing as free will Baptists. And there's a lot of general Baptists around this area, and general Baptists believe that that you can get saved, but you can lose it again. You can get saved and lose it again. And so they spring from the Free Will Baptist roots. They go, if you trace their history back far enough, you can find where they split off because of some associational differences. Uh, the General Baptists felt like they weren't getting enough attention from the national organization that they belonged to. And so they weren't getting as much attention as the Free Will Baptists, so they, they split off and made their own denomination. And then you got Reformed Baptists, which are that predestination crowd. Uh, Reformed Baptists, uh, they'll, and, and we've got them uh, in our state and scattered around here and yonder. And Reformed Baptists go back to the Reformation and they claim that John Calvin had the right idea about salvation, that, that God predestined every one of you either to go to heaven or go to hell before you were ever born and you didn't have any choice in it. And they say that even if in our theology, like we have here, we believe you have the, free will to choose to accept Christ and trust Him as Savior. We believe you have that choice to receive Him or reject Him. They think by the very fact that you place your faith in Him, that's a work. And so you can't be saved that way. If you're predestined to hell, you can place your faith in Christ and still go to hell. And so we're not of the Reformed variety of Baptists and then there's missionary Baptists lots of them in this uh, this area and they uh, they emphasize missions and evangelism and and have a strong commitment to spreading the gospel they're usually members of an association and uh, not that they're they would tell you that they're autonomous but they belong to an association and uh, cooperate within it Association, And then there's Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, the CBF, and that emerged from the Southern Baptist Convention, and they thought the Southern Baptists weren't, uh, con they thought they weren't progressive enough, so they went off to the side and became even more liberal and uh, progressive yet. So, and then the Baptist Uni Union of Great Britain, and I'm not even sure what they believe, but they're a traditional Baptist in England. And this is only just a smattering a sampling of all the Baptists that are out there. There's oodles of them. I don't think anybody knows how many there are. And so with that many Baptists, how in the world do you know 
if one of them's right or if all of them's right or if just some of them are right, that, there's just too many of them to know. How do you choose? Well, how do you choose? How would you choose? If you, say you were, if you were going to move to another city. Now, I know as long as you live in Cersei, you'd never choose any other church but this one right here, right? <laughs> Everybody wants to be a member here. I mean, you can tell by the thousands that are gathered here tonight. But let's say you were going to move from here. And every Christian, every Christian ought to be a member, an official member of a Baptist church somewhere. Or some church. We haven't established that it needs to be a Baptist church yet. Everybody ought to be a member of a Bible preaching church. And so how would you choose? If you were moving to Timbuktu. Oh wait, that's where Paul and T. D live. <laughs> they live just, you know how far Timbuktu is? They live just the other side of that. <laughs> Uh, what if you're moving to another city? How would you choose a church? Would you do like some people do and maybe consider the worship style? Is the, is the music really conservative or is it really contemporary or is it kind of a blend of the two? Is it highbrow? Is it, is it uh, country? Is it uh, Nashville style or is it southern gospel? What kind of music they have a lot of people choose their. They, I, we had a lady to leave our church not too long ago because our, our music, she said, wasn't familiar enough to her. She was used to some other music. I don't know. We, we sang regular hymnal music most of the time and nothing contemporary, but she wanted some old uh, songs that she was familiar with, and we didn't happen to sing the one that she wanted, so she went and joined another church because they had the, the songs at that church that she liked. I said, but. We talked for 20 minutes. I was trying to get her to reason with me, and we talked for a good while. And I said, but what about the preaching? She said, well, I don't know about that. I didn't think about that. I just looking mostly at the music. Well, how, do you, how would you choose a church? Would it be based primarily on the music style? Or whether, whether they raise their hands or wave their arms, whether they shout, pull their shoes off, run around the room, or, or would they be quiet and reserved? Which kind would you choose? Some people choose a church on... Pastor and staff likability. Well, see, again, that's why we've got thousands in the room tonight because they like the pastor and the staff here. Uh, some people choose their church just based on the personality of the leadership. Is that how you would choose? Some people choose a church based on how the prevailing dress is in that church. I had, I've had people tell me, that they wouldn't come to church here because they like to go to a cowboy church. I said, well, why? What do they do differently? And they said, well, they wear their cowboy hats and jeans and cowboy boots. And I said, that's why you go there. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> and I had somebody else that said they, and they told me this personally, they said uh, <clears throat> they were going to another church. I said, why, why do you go there? I was just trying to find out, you know, what their reasoning was and, they said, well, all the men over there at that church, they wear their hats in the church house. Okay. So that's the reason you choose a church, because that, the men wear hats there. Well, I've, I grew up in, back in the days when, when men uh, would have got shot if they walked through the door of the church house with a hat on, you know. And there's still a little bit, still a little bit of that tradition that I kind of like, really. I just think it shows some respect and some reverence for the things of God. And I think the way we dress shows a little. Now, would I choose a church based on what styles they wear? Uh, is that the reason we would choose? Are there things that's more important than that? 
there's a good many churches in America that are good churches. Good churches. Good churches. And maybe if we were just, I mean, we'd go on all night just talking about why people would choose the, the smaller things that people would choose the church for. Uh, one of the things I suspect would be up there close to the top. What do you think it'd be? Friendliness. Now, is that their only reason? Is that the primary reason? I think a church ought to be friendly. And I tell our folks here all the time, when, when visitors come in, boy, make them feel welcome, make them feel at home. If they're sitting by themselves, go over and sit down beside of them and, and be a friend to them. And uh, strike up a conversation. Try to get their credit card number if you can. <laughs> we, ought to, we ought to be friendly. I believe that. But is that the main reason we choose a church? I suspect you could go and find a, a Jehovah's Witness church where they'd be friendly to you. So should we join it because they're friendly? <laughs> I bet you could even find a, a Hindu temple where they'd treat you good. Maybe a Buddhist temple. But is that the reason? Just because they're friendly. Or what might it be doctrine? What the church teaches, believes, and practices. Could it be that? How close to the top would that get? And doctrine, by the way, is downplayed in contemporary Christianity today because it's kind of like, let's just all get together and we don't care what each other believes. I mean, you can believe salvation by grace and you can believe salvation by works and you can believe sprinkling for baptism and you can, you can believe in pouring for baptism and you can believe in getting ducked under the water for baptism. We don't care just as long as we all get along. That's the way it is. And, and so doctrine is downplayed in those kind of churches. And a lot of them don't even have a statement of faith, and so you couldn't figure out what they believed if you wanted to because it depends on who you ask within the congregation. Now, we Baptists, contrary to the belief of a lot of people, don't claim we are the only ones. <laughs> we are not the way to heaven. Jesus is the way to heaven. And so we don't say that, man, if you don't belong to a Baptist church, you ain't going to heaven. We don't say that and we don't believe that. Baptists, by the way, are not Protestants either. Can you get saved? Charles Spurgeon said the Baptists are not Protestants, never belong to the Catholic Church to protest. <laughs> and so Baptists have, are a distinct group that goes way back in history. And uh, I don't know, if, I've seen some people claim they could trace us all the way back to... Uh, Jesus and the, the apostles and some even say to John the Baptist <laughs> I don't think you have that good of uh, uh, DNA or ancestry.com I don't think it can take you back that far and so I think a Baptist church and what makes a Baptist church a Baptist church is the principles the biblical principles upon which it is founded and not the lineage from, where it, from whence it came I believe if I got shipwrecked on a desert island along with, with three or four other people and, and if we decided to start a church there and it was just completely deserted, nobody else there. And we didn't have a, a mother church to start from if we, just, if we knew what the Word of God taught and we just said, well, we're going to start us a church here. Do you think God would be mad at us for not having the right mother church or right lineage, ancestry? I don't think so. 
Well, I've chosen to be a Baptist since I was saved in 1980. <laughs> I went to church on Sunday morning, got saved, got baptized and joined the church that night. I don't believe in fooling around. <laughs> Just get right down to it. It was a Southern Baptist church. They preached the gospel. Preacher was a good man. And it went independent about a year after I got saved. And I didn't have anything to do much with that, I don't think. <laughs> and uh, so that church went independent the year after I got saved. And that was uh, 40 some odd years ago. And I've been an independent Baptist ever since. Because they're the only kind? No. Not the only kind. I've already said that. Baptists don't believe that they're the only ones. But I chose to be a Baptist ever since. And every time we, our family has moved from one place to another. Now, we've been here for 27 years, so don't get your hopes up thinking I'm going to move away right away. <laughs> Any time we've moved from one location to another, we got there. We, we did our research first. We knew where we were going. We knew about the church, and, and we already knew which church we were going to join when we got there. And when we got there, either in one or two services, we joined that church, and bang, it was done. We were in. And now not everybody decides to do it that way. And I just knew where I believed God was leading me. I'm always looking for God's guidance, God's leadership through His Word, through His Word, reading His Word, knowing what's biblical and what's not. And the leadership of the Holy Spirit coupled with the Word of God could get you settled in where you ought to be. <coughs> Sometimes people ask me what an independent Baptist church is. So... I'm going to try to explain in this message. What would I do if I was looking for a church? First of all, number one, I'd want to know about what they believe about the authority of the Word of God. I want to know what they believe. What is their constitution? I'm not talking about that written document that we do have one as a church, but our constitution is just a, it's just kind of a snapshot of the Bible. And the constitution of every church, every Christian, this ought to be your, your constitution. This is what the church ought to go by. This is what the church ought to live by. This is what the church ought to practice and preach. This is what every Christian ought to live by. This is our constitution. This is why we do what we do. And so before I join the church, I want to know, what do you believe about the authority of the Word of God? In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 4, 2, it says, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine. He says, preach the word. What's the church supposed to preach? Are we supposed to preach a psychology book? Are we supposed to preach a... A thesaurus. Are we supposed to preach a dictionary? Are we supposed to preach a commentary? We are supposed to preach this book. Everything else falls under this. If it is not subservient to this book, toss it out. Is that church following the Word of God? Now, I could give you several examples of why churches, a lot of churches are not. They may say, and most of them would say, we follow the Word of God. Just about everybody says that. But how do you know? This is kind of like deciding on who to vote for in the election. Don't believe what those thinking politicians say. <laughs> you look at their record and see what they've been doing. That tells a story. And the same thing works in churches. If they claim that this is their authority, look and see if they're following it. If they're not following it, then perhaps you want to look a little further. 
the central role of the Bible. And, I mean, you can just look. We'll take a, a little bit of an extreme example. The Roman Catholic Church would say they believe the Bible. And they would say they practice the Bible. They would. But then, claiming the Bible as their authority doesn't work because they also believe in the tradition of the church. That oral tradition that's been handed down in the Roman Catholic Church century by century by century, that oral tradition that's been handed down and pinned down at some point, they practice the traditions just the same as they do the Bible. And so while they may say the Bible is authoritative, they place the same amount of authority on the traditions. They believe the priest has authority. They believe that whatever the Pope speaks, ex cathedra, is the Word of God. So if the, pro, if the Pope tells you what God said, then as a Catholic, you better believe it or you're going to be on the outs with them. So what people say and what they practice are two different things. Charismatic churches. Now if you ask a, a charismatic church, they believe in speaking in tongues and the healing and all of that. And if, if you ask them, do you believe the Bible is authoritative? They'd say, well, sure. But they also believe that during a service that sister so-and-so can stand up and start speaking in tongues and then brother so-and-so can interpret what she said and that's the word of God. Wait. If, if what they said while they're speaking in tongues and an interpreter interpreted it is the word of God, then what's this? Is it authoritative or is what sister so-and-so said authoritative? I'm going to pick this every time. The Word of God. Now we could go on about whether or not the Word of God is authoritative, but just remember, it has to be practiced or it's not authoritative. You tend to do what you believe. If you really believe church is important, then you attend church. If you really believe the Bible is important, then you read it. If you really believe praying is important, then you practice it. If you believe souls are important, you witness. But if you don't do those things, you don't think it's all that important. Am I right? You see, Christian cults, I don't mind calling them that because they are. The Mormons are a cult. Now, do I hate Mormon people? No, I wish they'd get saved. Some of them may be and just staying in that church because family's there or something. I don't know. But the Mormon religion was founded by Joseph Smith a treasure hunter dug up the hills of Connecticut and surrounding states looking for hidden pirate treasure and found this pair of spectacles that enabled him. And they were planted there by uh, an angel just for him to find. And he could wear those and, and he could tell you what God's word is by looking through those spectacles. And he wrote the book of, the book of Mormon. And they have, uh, they have other books that they, they say they believe the Bible. I think they even use the King James Bible. They say they believe it. But wait, they interpret the King James Bible in light of what Joseph Smith wrote in the Book of Mormon. Well, the same thing happened in the uh, Southern Day or uh, Seventh-day Adventist church, Ellen G. White. She wasn't the founder, but she was an early, she was one of the early uh, big dogs in the in the Seventh-day Adventist church. 
Ellen G. White wrote books for their religion, their cult. Now they say they believe the Bible. They claim it's authoritative. But do they go by it? No, they go by whatever Ellen G. White says the Bible says. So what about the JWs, Jehovah's Witnesses, Charles Hayes Russell? Um, was instrumental in founding that religion, that cult. And guess what? They've got other writings that they interpret the Bible through. They even have their own translation of the Bible. Only the people who translated it didn't know the original languages, They, at least not well enough to interpret. And they even, some of them ended up in court because of uh, some, it, it, it was presented during court proceedings because they had misled some people and uh, they misused, for instance in the New Testament, they misused the Greek language when they interpreted it and that's why they, they took the word hell and made it grave everywhere in their own transla- translation because they don't believe when you die that, they don't believe in a hell in the first place and they don't believe that you're alive when you go to the when you die, you're just asleep, just like Seventh-day Adventists. Some of those people were actually friends with each other and helped found both of these cults. And so they uh, translated the Bible to suit themselves based on what they wanted to believe instead of what the Bible actually said. Can you see how churches... Now, we, we're looking at the extreme examples, but rest assured that there are Baptist churches and Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches and other churches that claim that they believe the Bible is authoritative and yet they stretch it, reinterpret it to agree with their theology that they've already invented. So is authoritative Bible believing important when finding a church? It's all important. It is very important. If their, if their Bible is not right, their doctrine is not right, it doesn't matter what else. It doesn't matter how friendly they are. It doesn't matter if they duck you under the water. Uh, the Church of Christ was founded by Alexander Hamilton and, and uh, his dad. And they duck you under the water. And they have a pretty good system of hermeneutics where they interpret the Bible, except when it comes to those passages they invented their own theology, like baptismal regeneration. And they believe you've got to get in the water or you can't be saved. You back them in the corner and they'll tell you, if you didn't get in the water, you're headed for hell, friend. Now they'll tell you that if you back them in the corner. That's their theology. So following the authority of Scripture, just because they say they've got authority doesn't mean that they follow that authority. Now there's a second thing. I've got to go a lot faster. The autonomy of the church. As a Baptist, we believe in the autonomy of the church. What does that mean? Well... In Acts chapter 6, verse 3 through 5, he says, Wherefore, brethren, look, look ye out among you seven men of honest, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. The saying pleased the whole multitude. A church, when a church is autonomous, that means that we decide right here in this church, within our four walls, we decide what we want to do as a church. We don't have headquarters in another city. 
We don't have a pope somewhere. We don't have an association somewhere. We don't have another organization that tells us what we ought to do and how we ought to do it and what we ought to decide. You and I, the membership, the official membership of this church, if we bring something up for a vote, every vote in the room counts just as much as everybody else's vote does. Even the pastor has one vote. And we decide what we want to do as a church because we're autonomous under the leadership of Jesus Christ. We don't have another organization leading us, demanding things of us, and deciding things for us. Now, there's other methods of, that's called congregational, uh, uh, congregational polity, and then you've got other churches like Methodists and Presbyterians and such that, that have uh, more of a uh, presbytery where there's boards of people within the national organization that or a district organization and they can make decisions over yonder about this church if we were a Methodist or a Presbyterian church. They make decisions on who your pastor is going to be. You don't get to choose. And so you get what they hand you. And if you want to remodel your church, they'll tell you how to do it and whether you can do it or not. And so we're congregational. We believe God gave us the gifted people right within our four walls that we can decide together, and we've got a great unity in our church. We don't fight and fuss and argue. We just get business done. That's why we don't have oodles of business meetings. We only have a business meeting if there's some real business to take care of. If we're going to buy a piece of property or sell a piece of property, we, uh, we'll, have, we'll have everybody to put a vote in on it. And, uh, and if the church doesn't agree on it, then we don't do it. But when it comes down to whether or not we want to buy toilet paper this week, I'll just go ahead and do that if you don't mind. <laughs> if we're going to have a guest preacher come in, now everybody in here uh, could suggest somebody else that we ought to have step on this platform. But friend, I believe in pastoral leadership. I believe in the autonomy of the church and the congregational rule of the church. But this platform is where I'm deciding what happens up here. If, if you know somebody that uses the NIV Bible and you want to have them come in and preach, we ain't doing it. <laughs> so if a preacher's coming, he's going to go through this preacher first. Now, everything we do with property and sale and buying of things, if we sell our van, we, speaking of van, we've got, we got a big repair bill we're going to have to run up on that van. It's kind of getting squirrely on us. And it may cost, one estimate was as much as $2,000. So... Uh, if we're just spending like two or three hundred dollars and we need something done instead of bringing it to a church vote and going through all that silliness, we just do it, you know, when it needs to be done. If we're going to spend two thousand dollars, you know, that's a bigger amount and we'll put it for the church. Do you want to spend two thousand dollars or do you want to haul that thing to the junkyard and drop it off? <laughs> you know, whatever you decide, uh, that's what we'll do. Congregational decisions ought to be made in the local church. That's autonomy. And then... There's a third thing, the way, way I would select a church and the way a Baptist church is run is there is, and especially in independent Baptist church, used to be this way in a lot of different kinds of churches, but now you'll see it mostly in independent Baptist churches is separation from worldliness. Separation from worldliness. Worldly influences. We're, gonna, we're not going to have contemporary music. We're just not going to do it. We've decided that a long time ago. We're not going to turn into an entertainment culture. we got great music already, but it's going to be godly music. And as a church, 
we believe in separating from the world. If it comes down to, uh, you know, having a Sunday school, a lady Sunday school teacher teaching in a bikini or she leaves the church, we'll just say, don't let the door hit you on the way out. We believe in separation from worldliness. We don't believe that, what would you think if a pastor wanted to go and say, hey, folks, get somebody else to preach next Sunday. I'm going to go over to Tunica because they're offering me a free hotel room and I've got a few coins saved up where I can gamble a little bit and I won't drink a lot. Just have a few little mixed drinks. Would you still respect your pastor? And you ought not to. That would be the time to say, ready for a change. We believe in separation from worldliness. If we don't draw a line somewhere, then there's no telling how far it will go until the church loses its identity as a Christian church. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The Bible says that. That's not something some Baptist preacher made up. Then it says also in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Hey, listen, God has been a holy God all along. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. He was holy yesterday. He was holy 2,000 years ago. He's still holy today. And he says, be ye holy for I am holy. We ought not act like the world is acting. Our culture has gone completely berserk. You know that, don't you? I mean, you just watch it. On, and, and so many people in churches emulate. They want to dress like, act like, and talk like the cool culture. If I can't be cool as I am, I don't want to be cool. <laughs> I don't have to learn their lingo. I don't have to dress like them. I don't have to go to the places they go. And I ought not to, and, not to, and you neither. We are those unique people who believe that we're not supposed to be just weird for the sake of being weird, but we ought to be separated from worldliness. Okay, here's this one. I would also find out if a church believes in the priesthood of the believers. The priesthood of the believers. 1 Peter 2, 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. you hear that? You're a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a peculiar people. Some of you are really peculiar. That you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. The priesthood of the believer. The Bible teaches that we are our own priest. We don't have to have a priest. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament worshiper would go to the tabernacle or the temple and he'd have to meet up with the priest and give the priest his sacrifice so that the priest could sacrifice and get him right with God for him. In the New Testament, when Jesus was crucified on the cross of Calvary, the Bible says that the, the veil in the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. That veil that kept believers in the Old Testament separated from God, from the Holy of Holies, that thing was ripped when Jesus died on the cross. And it ripped from the top, from, 
from the top down, meaning that it was so tall no man could reach it. It was God who ripped that veil and tore it from top to bottom and opened the way into the holiest of all. Who is the holiest of all? It's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our high priest and we are priests under him. And you don't need to come and confess your sins to me or some pope or priest. You don't have to go through anybody else. You can go to the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. You can do it. You have the opportunity, the ability, the promise, the right to enter into the holiest of holies, right into God's presence. When you pray, you're coming into His presence. Come boldly before the throne of grace. When I was a, a young man, just, I don't know, maybe 18 or 20 years old, uh, I wanted to borrow some money. And I went to the little old bank there in Melbourne where I was living, and, and the banker uh, had a secretary out front. And I told her I wanted to borrow some money, and this wasn't working out at all. And I said, well, could I talk to Mr. Younger? He was the old elderly man that was president of the bank. I said, could I talk to Mr. Mr. Younger? And he stepped out and said, who are you anyway, boy? And what do you want? I said, well, I want to borrow $500. This was back when $500 was like 5000 now. I said, I'd like to borrow $500. He said, well, who are you? We don't just loan out money to everybody. I said, he said, who's your daddy? I said, Bud Brooks is my dad. Oh, Bud. He said, come on in, boy. Come on in. He handed me $500. He said, go over there and let her have you to sign a paper. Don't, you can pay it back in six months or a year, whenever you want to. You know how I got in? Got in because of who my daddy was. You know how you can get into the holy of holies? You know you, how you can access the Father? It's because of who you are, a child of the right king. We believe in the King James Bible. I wouldn't, uh, I, I'm not trying to rail on people that don't use the King James Bible. I'm just telling you, it's the perfect word of God. And if you've got that which is perfect, why would you want to use something else? I mean, if you've got a brand new Cadillac, why would you want to buy a 1970 Volkswagen? Huh? I believe we've got the best there is. In Psalms, listen to this. In Psalms 12, 6, the words... Of the Lord, look here. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Hey, if, if the Bible was ever true, if it was ever complete, if it was ever right, if it was ever authoritative, He preserves it forever and it's still what it used to be. And we don't need a new translation. What we need, if we can't understand what some of those words mean, get a dictionary. Hey, I've read some of those new translations, and you know what? You've got to have a dictionary on some of their words too. I mean, they use some of the goofiest words you ever saw. And a lot of the commentators who are using, like the NIV, their commentators commenting out of the, uh, the NIV Bible, and he, a lot of times if he can't explain it better, he'll go back and take a quote from the King James Bible to explain it. And I'm thinking, why didn't he just do that in the first place? <laughs> we believe the King James Bible is the right Bible. When Brenda Foster, is that right back there, when she stopped out here, this is years ago, when she stopped out here and she saw me out there around, I was mowing or something out towards the mailbox. And she pulled in, her and her husband was looking for a church. And she pulled in and she got out 
I thought, I don't know who this woman is, but she looks like she may hit me. <laughs> she came over and she said, I just need to ask you a couple of questions about the church. I was thinking about visiting. I said, okay. She said, first of all, do you believe in eternal security? And I said, we do. She said, well, now my next question is, do you believe in the King James Bible? I said, we do. She said, we'll see you Sunday. <laughs> and she hadn't been gone since. You know what? When you're getting fed a diet of the real thing, you're not looking for the fluff of something else. What's some other, what's one more? I'll give you one more. What's the, what's the other thing that we would look for in a church? What distinguishes a Baptist church, especially an independent Baptist church, from other Baptist churches? Well, the Great Commission, the emphasis on the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus said just before he left this world, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus said there's a lot of lost people out there that needs to be saved. There's a lot of lost people who won't know how to be saved if you don't go and tell them. He said, therefore, go into the uttermost parts of the earth. Give the gospel to every creature. He wants us to witness the people here in Searcy. He wants us to preach the word right here in this building. He wants us to send missionaries to the other side of the world to tell people over there how to be saved because people will perish and they will die and go to hell and they'll never get out. They'll be there forever and ever. And so we believe the Great Commission is exactly what God wants us to be involved in. That's why we give invitations after the sermons. And that's why we carry tracts in our pocket to hand out to other people. And that's why we maybe knock on somebody's door and ask them if they know the Lord Jesus and explain to them how a person becomes saved, born again. We believe in evangelism. So let's wrap this up. A church that pleases God is one that uses the Bible for their constitution. A church that is autonomous. And I, when I say independent Baptist church, I'm not using a capital I. I use a little I, independent Baptist church, because we're not a denomination. Our, our church exists right here in this building when we're met together. Now when we go home, we're not here any longer, and so we scatter. But our church is the membership of this very church. And we're autonomous. But we're not bragging about the fact, well, I'm independent, you know. And we don't want to be arrogant about it. We're firm. I'm an independent. What does it mean to be independent? We don't have anybody else telling us anything that we ought to do. We depend on Him. <laughs> and a church that pleases God is one that believes every saint is his own priest. He can go to God anytime he wants to. You can fall on your knees and speak to the maker of the universe anytime you please. And we believe that being a Baptist is not something we're arrogant about. We're not exclusive. We invite people to be with us. So what does it take to join a Baptist church? First of all, we, we would say that the Bible would teach a person should be saved by trusting in what Christ did on the cross person need to be baptized if they were baptized in another church of like faith we would accept their baptism by, by a transfer of letter membership salvation baptism and willingness to be united with the church and 
we've had a lot of people to join over the years and we would encourage unity within our church. That's how it works. We could make this into a lot longer series of messages and who knows, maybe we will approach it from a different angle a little later on. But I'd like to just unhook this choo-choo train from that boxcar right here and give an invitation. Would you stand with me with our heads bowed and eyes closed and we'll pray. The uh, pianist will come and if you need to be saved, I want you to know that we always give an invitation so that people can trust the Lord that has spoken to their heart. You can't slip in through God's back door. You have to come in the front door. That means by trusting Him as Savior. And it's a rather public thing. When you get saved, you make it public. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd bless us as we have this time of invitation. I pray that people who need to be saved would come. I pray that people who would need to be baptized would come and let's talk about that. People who want to join the church, they could come and make their wishes known. Lord, if people come and just want to talk to you about getting things right in their life, or maybe they're praying for some other soul to be saved, I pray that you'd just bring them to the place where they can kneel and speak to you, the maker of the universe, this very night. 